passage before you on your outline. This is Matthew 2, 1 through 12. This will serve as a starting point for this meditation this morning. I decided a while back that I would do two, uh, really, meditations on uh, Advent for preparation uh, as we look towards Christmas. And so last week was the first, and this week is the second. And, of course, we have this uh, Christmas Eve service this week. I hope you come to if you're in town. Uh, this is part of a process we go through, the church has gone through for a long time, hundreds and hundreds and even almost 2,000 years, where the church would pause collectively to consider uh, the coming of Jesus, not just because of his first coming and all the magnificence that is wrapped up in that, but also with a view to the fact that he will come again. And that is what Advent is about, his coming and his coming again. And that's what we'll consider again today, especially as we look at this particular topic of interest to me that I want to share with you, and that is the worship of Jesus. And I will say the reason why I think this is so important for us uh, can be summarized in a discussion I had not too long ago with someone who was uh, of a different faith. They were a Muslim, and they were telling me about their respect for Jesus. And we had a long discussion. He was a very learned individual. And he was telling me he knew quite a bit about Jesus, and most of what he had to have known had to have come from the Bible. So he's telling me about how much he respected Jesus, and I understood what he was doing was trying to lead to a point where he can show me the superiority of his prophet Muhammad by giving me respect for Jesus. In my mind, as I listen to him and discuss this with him, and I've had this discussion before with other people of other faiths, something shouted out within me that, yes, I appreciate your respect for him, but recognize that Jesus and Muhammad are not the same. One is God and to be worshipped, the other is not. And I wanted to cry out with that as I heard him keep trying to make this equal claim for the two, only waiting, I know, to come to the end and say this is the one who's come later and is superior, when the fact is the one who's come later and he says the superior was actually created by Jesus. So with that, I want us believers again to recognize that we worship Jesus. Let me say it again. We worship Jesus. We don't just like him. We don't just adore him. We don't worship in the way people worship human beings today. We worship him because he is God, he is worthy, and he is coming again. Hear God's word, Matthew 2. We see an evidence of two different individuals, two different people worshiping Jesus. And we'll analyze this further as we consider this passage and others this morning. Hear God's word, Matthew 2, starting at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring, him, bring me word that I, too, may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had 
seen when it rose, went, exceeded, uh, went before them until came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, again, this season of remembrance. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us new eyes this morning to consider how unique our Lord Jesus is. Father, the thrice holy God, triune in nature. Lord, this is mysterious to us, but we see it clearly evidenced in Scripture. And we see the Lord Jesus being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of us. Being found in a fashion as us, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And Lord, as a result, we worship him. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hopefully we are all struck by the reaction of the magi, of the shepherds, the angels. Even Herod knows to use the word worship. Now, I think these individuals may mean different things, and the word is generic here. It just simply means to bow down. But certainly there is an understood devotion that should go to this one, who has all this prophecy about him. And that's what we see happening in the opening of Matthew. And we see it, though, throughout all of Scripture. In fact, the the theme of the worship of Jesus is not secondary. It's not a side part of Christianity. It's really at the very core of Christianity to worship Jesus. It's what you might say, among other things, but certainly centrally, makes Christian di- Christianity different from every other religion. We worship Christ. So many other religions and faiths will give great deference to teachers and they'll memorialize them and they'll speak in terms that are certainly high and lofty about them. But it is only the Christian who says in total understanding, hopefully, according to Scripture, that we worship Christ because he is God. He's the eternal one, the ancient of days. This is why we worship him. And I hope that as we consider a new season of Advent, that we have not lost from our minds the picture of the high and lifted up God, seated at the right hand of the Father now, ruling from on high and coming again. We worship that God who is Jesus. We're called to worship him. But why are we called to worship him? We see in basic ways. But so much of what we've been singing this Advent season has really been a call to worship in many different ways. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, God with us, worshiping him. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. We join with the angels in worshiping Jesus. Oh, come, let us adore him. That means to come and worship him. Glory in the highest. Come and worship Christ the King. Over and over we sing of worshiping Jesus. Now this morning, let's consider why we are to worship Christ. We'll see first that the worship of Christ is in fact a central theme through all Scripture. If you could take a rope that goes through all the stories of Scripture, the revelation, the the history of God's redemption that is shown, it it is a multi-stranded rope. One of those strands is no doubt the worship of Messiah from beginning to end, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, finding its ultimate culmination in Revelation, this picture of eternal worship 
of Christ. Of all things Revelation is about, make sure we recognize the number one thing is the worship of Jesus. And it starts in Genesis with the forecast of Messiah to come, and it ends the picture of Revelation. Jesus being worshipped for eternity, the worthy Redeemer who had fulfilled what was promised back in Genesis. Through Scripture, the thread goes of worshiping Christ. But the second thing we'll see more briefly, but we'll see how Jesus Christ is in fact worthy of that worship. It goes without saying that he is worship, but recognize he's worthy of it. Sometimes we do many things and don't know why we do them. Oh, well, you just always did it that way, or he did it, or she did it that way, or they did it that way. Well, why do we worship Jesus? We know he is worship. Why? That's the second thing we'll want to consider. Finally, and most briefly, but importantly, we will see as a result of this that worship in Christ, it really is an exclusive devotion. We'll see this as we look at some passages together. Again, I put this in the form of a, a meditation to you. It's not the usual exposition for a passage. So please hear as I share with you various passages. You may write them down and study them throughout the week or use them in your devotions or just simply listen to what God's Word says. I promise to read it just the way it says it. There are several clear biblical reasons for why we are to worship the Lord Jesus. Let's consider them now. First, we see that the worship of Christ is indeed a central theme in the Bible. I've already alluded to this. Uh, there are messianic promises, promises of a Messiah, an anointed one, one who would come to save throughout the Old Testament, starting back in Genesis when the promise to send a Messiah uh, is given. But also the prophets themselves spend much time looking forward to the Messiah's coming. And I believe when the prophets look ahead to the Messiah's coming, they see it really as a complex of events that's total. His coming as a baby, his doing the work he is given to do, and his exaltation and ultimate glory. This comes together for most of the prophets in one picture. This is why there's some confusion among people as they read the prophets and Jesus comes. Well, when is the kingdom going to come? And those kinds of questions. They're legitimate questions. They're not all just because people wanted to be freed from the Romans. They had a picture from the prophets that sometimes was difficult for them to decipher. After all, Micah says of Bethlehem, a small town that doesn't mean much of anything, that this is the place. Out of thee shall come a ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been told from of old of everlasting. Micah, several hundred years before, says that Bethlehem, if you were to pick all the possible towns in Jerusalem, you are in Israel, you would not pick Bethlehem to be the one. But the prophet does and pinpoints this, the same town of David. But the greatest picture of the coming of Jesus and the worshiping of Jesus in particular comes in Isaiah. Isaiah gives this great picture of Messiah. In chapter 9, says something very worship-worthy for sure. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. All titles you would think of to God the Father are given to God the Son. That's Something that evokes worship right there, 700 years before Jesus comes in Isaiah. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it. So there's this picture of the one who will be seated on the throne, whose kingdom will have no end. It will continue to increase. Worship is called for when we have this picture. Later in Isaiah 40, another great image comfort my people says your god speak tenderly to jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned that she has received from the lord's hand double for all her sins a voice cries in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord this is a picture of john the baptist 700 years later 
a voice crying in the wilderness, make the way of the Lord plain, clear. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The even ground shall become level. The rough place made plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. This picture of Christ's coming evokes worship already in Isaiah. The theme of the worship of Jesus is throughout the scriptures. The psalmist says, speaking the voice of God, as for me... I set my king on Zion, my holy hill. That's the father talking about the son. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So God promises to exalt his son, this picture of the worship of Christ right there in the Psalms. The Psalms that the people of God sang and used to worship. Later, Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, the Father says to the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Uh, It's throughout the scripture and even very clearly in the prophets that Jesus is to be worshipped. The sacrificial system itself is part of an act of worship that pictures Jesus. Every time they brought an animal to sacrifice in the tabernacle or the temple, it was an act of worship concerning the person of Christ and his work. We know about what response Jesus evoked when he was born. All this background goes into their understanding when the Messiah comes and the shepherds worship and the Magi worship and the angels who never receive worship themselves but only worship Christ, they worship Christ and cry out, call people to worship. So the worship of Christ is a central theme. There's no way it can be denied in Scripture. It's not often talked about. When you speak with people about Jesus, they want to focus on his philosophy or his teaching. But I would suggest we would back up for a minute and notice how special it is that throughout his teaching, people are falling at his feet and worshiping him. Mohammed didn't conjure that from people. He just didn't. Worshiping Christ during his earthly life is also prevalent. I just alluded to people falling and worshiping him. In John 5, he's speaking and he says, all men should honor the Son, Jesus says, even as they honor the Father. So he's saying that the honor you give the Father, the worship you give to the Father, you should give to the Son. He that honors not the Son honors not the Father, which he had sent. Later in Matthew, that wonderful picture where Peter wants to walk on the water, walk to Christ, and he's struggling just like we all struggle, and he's looking to Jesus. In this picture, we we see, or the story, we most remember this trial he has in the sea with Jesus, but there's something there that I want you to catch that's important. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he had saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Verse 33. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. The author of Hebrews starts the whole book by noting concerning God bringing Jesus forth. And when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, God says, Let all God's angels worship Him. 
The point is, is that the worship of Christ is called for from beginning to end in the scripture. It's a central theme. Then the resurrected Christ comes and he is worshipped. In Matthew 28, there's several different passages that allude to his being worshipped as people see him risen again. It says he is not here for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lays. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. That's the response when they meet Jesus. After he has risen again. Just a few verses later in Matthew 28. The eleven disciples went to Galilee in the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. The end of Matthew 28. And, they, and he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands and blessed them. When he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. I would just suggest to you, my brothers and sisters, there is no discussion complete about the Lord Jesus Christ that does not end with the cleared call to worship Him. That's what we do. That's what He deserves. That's what He should get. That's what He will get, is worship. Heavenly worship, pictured by Revelation. Revelation 4, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns down before the throne. In other words, any earthly accomplishment that they have falls at the feet of King Jesus, who they worship now. They say, worthy are you, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. He's saying this to Jesus. Revelation 14, he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the honor of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. I hope you can see in this brief survey how central worshiping Jesus is to the Bible. You can't read the Bible without seeing the worship of Christ. One of the most tragic things about a people who would read the Bible and not see Jesus is missing the main point, the worship of Christ, ultimately. Okay, we know this worship is here. Why? What makes him worthy of this? Well, consider just briefly why Jesus is worthy of our worship. Very first, he is God. Now, I can't unpack what it means by the clear testimony of Scripture that God is triune, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I can't unpack that all. It's a mystery, for sure, but it's clearly there. And God the Son is given this place by God the Father, and through the ministry of God the Spirit that we might worship the one who is the mediator between us and God, the second person of the Trinity, Christ. He's God, first of all. This is why he's worthy. He's eternal God, nothing less. He was not created. He always has been. The author of Hebrews says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has never changed. Jesus said himself, I and my Father are one. Thomas. After seeing the holes in his hands and his side, he said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. In Matthew, the first chapter, we've read it. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which you all know means God with us. Not God sent us someone. 
God with us. That's why he's worthy of worship. He's God. As God, he's creator. He didn't sit off the side while the Father created. The Father, in conjunction with the Son, created everything. It says in John 1, 3, all things were made by him. That's Christ. Without him was not anything made that was made. I always have a fun little game I play with my boys. Sometimes they'll tell me we're wrestling and stuff, and they'll say, Dad, you're being mean. I say, I'm not mean. Yes, you are. You're mean. I'll say, I'm not mean. And they know what I say. I say, Nico, did you eat breakfast this morning? Yes. Who got you that breakfast? Mom did. Okay, you didn't get it, did you? Hey, that's a nice shirt you got on. Where'd you get that shirt, Nico? That's a nice shirt. He kind of gets a little look at his face. That's right, Daddy got that for you, didn't he? Hey, this nice rug we're laying on right now that we're wrestling on so we don't get hurt when we wrestle. Who do you think got that rug for you? Hey, did you breathe in that air a second ago? Who gave you that air to breathe there in your mind? And then you know what he says to me? God did. He's right. He's absolutely right. I think we forget the fact that the very critics who want to say Jesus isn't really the living God, Jesus made them. He, he, he gave them the materials for the books they write. And he's not fazed by that. He, he created this stuff that we see. Every bit of it is really created by God. It's true. When the child says that God made that, he did. And I think it's important for us to praise Jesus, worship him, for he is the eternal God and he's creator. And it says in Colossians 1 verse 16, by him were all things created that are in heaven and are on earth. All things were created by him and for him. He's the redeemer. The other points of his worth are true, but we could never realize them if he had not redeemed us. And this is what Titus says. The great God and our Savior Jesus Christ gave himself for us that we might, he might redeem us from all iniquity. Christ is worthy of worship because he is God, because he is creator, and he has redeemed us to worship him. He's not just the redeemer, although that would be enough. He's the sustainer. It says in Hebrews that he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint on his nature, of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I, I laugh a bit when I see all these, these conferences to figure out how we men can change the climate of the globe so it doesn't all fall apart. Well, newsflash to everybody, it's Jesus who upholds the word world by his power. He's the one who does it. Now, be responsible, don't get me wrong, but let's not get too high and mighty and think we have that much to do with it. It's God, the Son, who is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and it says that He upholds the universe, not just our globe, the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is why we worship Jesus. And we worship Him also because He is King. And Matthew 28, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This is powerful because he doesn't say, as he's risen again, uh, he's seen among the people, he doesn't say to them, guess what? God has given me power on earth. I can rule earth now. That's not what he says. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Let there be no mistake who should be worshipped. It's King Jesus. That's what he's saying. 
The Great Commission, the going forth and making disciples, is based on the authority of the one who is Lord of heaven and earth, the King, the King of kings. Back in Revelation, in the end of the scriptures themselves, Jesus says, Fear not, I am the first and the last. And this gives us new insight to Psalm 2 that I read earlier when it's a forecast of the Son giving power to, or the Father giving uh, power to the Son. As for me, I have set my King on Zion, King Jesus. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession, King Jesus. Jesus is worthy of worship, not just because we always have done it or because there's some cathedral in Rome that says we should or there's some other people that looked about and do. It's because he's worthy of it. He's eternal God. He's the redeemer. He's the sustainer. He upholds everything and he's king. This is the Christ that we worship, that we consider as having come as he has in the flesh. So the worship of Christ is a central theme in the Bible. And Jesus Christ himself is clearly worthy of worship. I would just say finally, and more briefly, that worshiping Christ, if we're honest intellectually and rationally, is an exclusive devotion. You can't worship someone else. Jesus does not allow for that. He doesn't give bits of his glory to these false gods, no matter how devout someone is in their worshiping that false god. So the worship that we are called to when we worship Christ The central theme of Scripture, you might say, something that Jesus is clearly worthy of, to be honest, we have to say He alone deserves our worship. We cannot worship other gods. And we have to also say, without apology, that the worship of Christ is what distinguishes. There may be other distinguishers, but it's clearly one of the main ones. The worship of Jesus Christ distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. They are not the same. There are not multiple ways around the mountain. There is one king of the mountain. It's Christ. He's the only way. Otherwise, let's forget these holidays because they're worthless. They're only valuable insofar as we see what they say about the living Christ, the king of all the universe, in the only way of salvation that there is. This is why we sing like we sing. This is why we respond the way we respond and remember the way we remember. I want us to end by reading a verse from Scripture, meditating upon it, if you will. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation 5, the fifth chapter of Revelation. Look at verse 12 in particular. Verse 11 and verse 13 are both excellent as well, but verse 12 in particular is where we will meditate. I want us to contemplate the powerful words that are there written. It says, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now, I'm at the end of my abilities to give you the picture of this verse. So instead, what I'm going to do is going to play this in song for you to meditate upon. Now, I know that if we were to play at Christmas time, the hallelujah chorus, that would be usual for us. But you all know that the Hallelujah Chorus is actually an Easter song that comes at the end of the second section of the oratorio and has to do with his resurrection. What I would rather do for you is play the portion of Handel's Messiah that plays this verse. It's the last song in the whole oratorio. I think it's actually the best. I know it's amazing to say that when you've got something like the Hallelujah Chorus two-thirds of the way through and then to say this is the best. But as finales go, it's capturing the spirit of Revelation 5.12. I don't know that there's ever been anything done like this. 
So what I'd like you to do is have your Bible open, read verse 12 as the song is played and meditate upon this verse. It's about five minutes. Pray unto God as you think about this verse. Contemplate as the words are sung that we would remember that our purpose is to worship Christ.
the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And we have heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessed in honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And we say, Amen. In Christ's name, we say, Amen. Let us together worship the Lord by turning in our hymnals and standing together and singing. 200 came upon a midnight clear. The first two verses as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. <laughs> 